you're listening to a remastered version of Angels and Seerstones Season 1. Compared to the original episodes, you'll find a much more professional sound. Season 2 begins on February 15th. We'll see you then. Welcome to Angels and Seerstones. I'm Chris. And I'm Christine. This episode is about Latter-day Saint legends involving notorious serial killer Ted Bundy's murder spree in Utah. For that reason, we are going to declare this episode for mature audiences only. So these are largely stories of divine protection. We won't be including descriptions of his crimes, but this is the context for the stories. So sensitive listeners, beware. For those who remain, we promise a fascinating episode at the intersection of folklore and true crime. Latter-day Saints are a people of radical faith. We are a unique body of Bible-believing Christians. For us, the scriptural canon has been opened. The traditional sacraments have expanded. Our beliefs and practices are steeped in universalism, esotericism, and apocalypticism. The Latter-day Saint tradition is a religion in which angels visit everyday people, and sometimes men and women see the divine in stones. In this podcast, we examine the lived religion of Latter-day Saints, our beliefs, and our stories. We take seriously the whole gamut of Latter-day Saint experience. Join us, Christine and Chris Blythe, two professional folklorists and Latter-day Saint converts, as we openly discuss our faith while exploring the traditions of our chosen people. All right, Christine, I can't imagine a more disturbing topic to discuss. Why are we talking about Ted Bundy and serial killers? <laughs> well, serial killers are a major subject in what we once called the urban legend. We all know the stories of the hook man or the killer in the back seat of the car. So the killer in the back seat is the one when a woman notices a car behind her flashing their brights and honking their horn, and she turns around and wonders what's going on. And eventually we learn that every time that car flashes brights or honked its horn, it's because a killer was getting ready to stab her coming out from the back seat. Mm-hmm. That's the one. And these types of stories were all over the place in American legends in the 1970s and the 1980s. Sometimes they involved a historical serial killer. Uh, I would imagine there are legends around all major serial killers in American history. And folklore often deals with unsavory topics. These stories are about relieving anxiety. So it makes sense that this lore would develop around the very real terror surrounding Ted Bundy. Yeah, Bundy killed somewhere between five and eight women in Utah. His victims were usually young women in their teens and early 20s. One of these victims was 15-year-old Latter-day Saint Susan Curtis, who was abducted while attending a youth conference at Brigham Young University. And that's not the only tie to the LDS tradition. Bundy, who was already a murderer, had been baptized a member of the church in 1975 and was excommunicated about six months later when he was convicted for kidnapping. And that's not legend, that's fact. Right. So let's talk about the stories themselves. Perhaps the most interesting element to Ted Bundy lore in Utah is the so-called Ted Bundy Cave, or the Ted Bundy Cellar, where teenagers legend trip. For those who aren't familiar with the term, a legend trip is just like it sounds. It's a trip often made by a teenager, could be an adult, to the site of a local legend. Chances are you've participated in a legend trip or something like it. You can find plenty of videos and blogs about visits to Bundy's cellar, what was allegedly his Salt Lake City kill site. You can find psychics telling their own tales on what happened to victims there. Very disturbing stuff. And to be clear, of course, there's really no evidence that Bundy was ever at this place. While Bundy lived in the area and killed in the area, he had no association with the building. Instead, the cellar, just a door leading down to a small room, it looks scary. 
If you were filming a horror movie, this would be an ideal set, and it naturally becomes a magnet for stories about Bundy, explaining that uncomfortable feeling the building evokes. Of course, this leads to poltergeist stories, but what I'm most interested in is the stories among some Latter-day Saints in which they were nearly killed by Ted Bundy, but then something prevented it. These stories are widespread throughout the United States. They're not specifically LDS, and some writers, including psychologists, have studied these alleged survivor stories, some trying to debunk the idea that so many women across America ran into Bundy in the first place. But of course, as folklorists, we have little to say about the reliability of a story. Right. So the first story we want to hear today is from a 24-year-old woman in Provo. This was recorded in 2020, and this is a classic FOAF. That's a friend of a friend's story. She heard it from a friend who had heard it from her state president, who recounted what had occurred to him decades previous. Let's hear it. So my friend heard this story from her stake president at a conference. And basically, when the stake president was young at a single adult ward, he was up the canyon at some family home evening activity, and he was with the girl he was dating at the time. And him and the girl were together, and they decided to break off from the rest of the group and go for a walk through the trees and just talk. It was later in the evening, and as they were walking, the stake president said that they got into a patch of trees, and he stepped on something weird. The spirit told him to not look down, but to grab the girl's hand and keep going. So he grabbed her hand, and they met the rest of the group. Years later, Ted Bundy was in an interview, and a reporter asked him if there was ever time he almost got caught. Ted Bundy proceeds to tell the story of how he was once in the woods of Provo Canyon, and he had just killed somebody and was hiding her body. And a young woman and a young man came walking through the woods, and he ran behind something. The young man was walking and stepped on the hair of the young woman Ted Bunny had just killed and was in the process of burying her. Ted basically said if the man would have looked down and seen the hair, he would have had to kill them both. This has a lot of elements from something like the Hookman story. A young couple is out in the woods at night. They encounter a serial killer. It could be shared as a cautionary tale. But that doesn't seem to be the case based on the context in which the friend first heard it. That's right. Here's a couple attending a church activity and walking through the woods together. The purpose of the story was not a warning against going on night strolls with a date. It was to talk about how if one was in tune with the Holy Ghost, they could be protected from danger. Instead of telling us what we shouldn't do, this is the classic LDS promise that if we are in the right place, the right time, we'll be okay. Of course, we know this isn't always true, but it brings comfort. The whole story is very LDS. Or is it? A fascinating personal experience shared by a Catholic woman recalls that when she encountered Bundy, she was also warned by a voice. Bundy approached her while she waited for a ride after Mass, urging her to come with him. As he talked to me, I heard a voice say in my head, You want me to go with you so that you can kill me? So these themes of divine protection are definitely in the stories of other faith traditions. And it makes sense that a tradition like Catholicism, with its understanding of personal inspiration, would have very similar stories as our own. But let's go back to our LDS example. A future state president hears the spirit warn him not to look down and is able to save himself and his date. So I want to point out that this story, like so many in the wider American culture, reinforced traditional gender norms. So this actually isn't always the case in Ted Bundy's stories. Another story recorded in 2019, also from an LDS woman in her early 20s, gives a little bit of a different take. And she was walking down the street looking for a restaurant. Her mom was across the street. I think she was about 17 at the time. This man in a yellow bug shows up and he's like, hey, do you want to get a drink with me? And she says, sorry, I don't drink. And he's like, why don't you come in my car for smoke? And she's like, oh, I don't smoke either. 
And he said, okay. And she said, I should get back to my mom. And he said, okay, and got back in his car. Then sometime in the future, she sees him on TV as a wanted man. And she was like, oh, I met him. And that's how the word of wisdom saved her life. The thing about Ted Bundy is that he was handsome, clean-cut, well-mannered. So here's a Latter-day Saint girl who was able to avoid being taken by this man because of her adherence to the word of wisdom, the LDS health code against alcohol, tobacco, drugs, and even coffee and tea. In some ways, this story seems like common anecdotes of peer pressure faced by young people. Right. I think that's important. I also think the story is interesting because it mentions Bundy's Volkswagen, his yellow bug, as she calls it. Not to go into the details of Bundy's crimes, but he would trap women in his specially designed car. Yeah, it's horrifying. Yeah. I want to shift gears. Um, Let's talk about the most common serial killer story in LDS history. Here's a short clip from the 2002 film Singles Word, where Kirby Hayborn plays the supposedly gullible believer in LDS folklore. Christine, we're going to have to talk about this character sometime in the show. Yeah, we should. I mean, this guy was a total serial killer. I'm not kidding. And when the cops arrested him, they asked him, you know, why didn't you attack those two sister missionaries that were knocking at your door? You know what he said? Because of the three big guys that were standing behind them. Really? (laughs) (laughs) I love that. This is among the most well-recorded legends in the Wilson Folklore Archives at BYU. In fact, one afternoon while working at BYU, a student came into my office, and she was a newly returned missionary, and I can't really remember where she was serving, but naturally we began talking about missionary folklore, initiation practices, food lore, and of course legend. And instantly she perks up and tells me that there is this amazing story that actually happened in her mission that she has to share with me. Now, as she's telling me the story, I I very literally have a stack of manuscripts on this legend cycle at arm's length on my desk, many of which that dated back even before she was born. So let's go ahead and listen to the story in full. There were these two sister missionaries serving in my mission, and they were out proselyting when they approached an old decrepit house. I think the sisters felt some caution as they approached, but wanted to contact everyone in the particular neighborhood where they were tracting. So they knocked on the door and a man answered. The sisters began telling him about the plan of salvation, but the homeowner seemed jittery. So they left, and the sisters continued down the road to grocery, where they actually found a wanted poster pinned to the wall with this man's photograph on it. It said something like, wanted killer and rapist. (gasps) Of course, they were terrified and immediately contacted the authorities. And this is where it gets kind of crazy. While in custody, the police asked the man why he had spared the young girls' lives. The man replied, they were not alone, but had been accompanied by three large men. Serial killers began to arouse American fascination in the last quarter of the 20th century. Bundy is a major touchstone in the history, but he's by no means the whole story. That serial killers would be integrated into missionary legends is obvious. Missionaries spend their days knocking doors, going into the homes of people they don't know, and talking to strangers. As a result, we have lots of stories about divine protection or spiritual warning about a certain person or place. I think all missionaries have a story about when they entered a home or were walking down the street and then they felt a prompting to flee. I know I have. I definitely have that story. The fact is missionary work can be dangerous. Even before we knew about Ted Bundy, Robert Elmer Cleason killed Elder Gary Darling and Elder Mark Fisher in 1974 in Austin. 
And then in 2021 in Alabama, Elder Michael Faber survived being shot multiple times by a guy who showed up to play basketball at the church. And violence can certainly happen to sister missionaries as well. In 2020, this time in Houston, a 17-year-old man broke into the apartment of his sister Lauren Willardson and her companion and repeatedly stabbed them in their sleep. Now, of course, missions are usually very safe, but stories of God's protection from serial killers are meant to relieve some of the anxiety of living in a world with potential predators all around. I guess what surprises me most about researching this topic is that Latter-day Saints rarely tell stories pulled from the actual history of violence against missionaries. They aren't as widespread as they should be, particularly since people think of Latter-day Saints as having a persecution complex. Interestingly, when these missionaries, Michael Faber and Lauren Willardson, tell the story of their attempted murders, they emphasize the miraculous protection they received. Doctors assured them they should no longer be alive. If they were shot or stabbed just slightly differently, it would have taken their lives. I think the truth is that while something might happen on a mission, we actually don't use these stories to promote a new persecution narrative because truth is we don't want our young people scared. Missions aren't meant to be a terrifying experience. You're meant to feel safe and protected as you do God's work. Yeah, certainly these stories in general are about faith and protection. But Chris, I think that these stories are sometimes less about comforting missionaries I think missionaries anticipate persecution, maybe not from a serial killer, but they are members of God's army, and that gives us a very specific orientation towards the world. That means a dangerous situation like the ones we've discussed strengthen their identity and resolve. I think the benefit of these stories might be more about mom and dad who stay up late at night worried about their little boy or little girl in some strange town or in some strange city or foreign countryside far away. I think you're absolutely right. Now, Christine, you actually grew up with some Ted Bundy stories. That's true. You know, Ted Bundy killed in both Florida, where I grew up, and in Utah, where I now live. The fact that women are predominantly the victims of serial killers make these stories particularly popular in women's circles. My mom, who's not LDS, had more than one close encounter. The one she most commonly told and told often was a story about her sitting in traffic late at night and feeling a prompting to lock her door just moments before a stranger grabbed the car door and attempted to get in. Another was a serial killer who lived just beyond the gate of my great-grandmother's backyard. And that's it. You know, these stories highlight those very real anxieties that women have that maybe just beyond the gate is something lurking secretly wishing to harm them. You know, I really like that your mother's story includes a some kind of intuition that saved her. In fact, all the stories we shared include this. So listeners, circle back for a bit of comfort and the ongoing hope that maybe you too will be protected from danger. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Angels and Seer Stones. Coming up next week, we are returning to the topic of sleep paralysis and sharing some of the correspondence we've received on that topic. Make sure to send in your stories on any of the topics we've discussed, and we'll join you then. See you then.